And uh, I'm going to pray and we're going to get started on Psalm 123. Father, our eyes do look to you, O Lord. Uh, Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we get weary in this journey. We get weary in this life for many different reasons. We, um, we get afraid. Uh, we, we feel the scorn and contempt of, of those outside of us or maybe from inside of us. And, and we do feel weary at times. But when we come into places like this to worship with your people and sing songs of joy and, and deliverance and, and what you've done for us, our, our heart is um, made glad. And, and we want to journey with gladness and joy. We want to journey on our way uh, to, to, to where the sun never sets, to where there, there are no more tears, there is no more weariness. We, we want to journey with joy on our, on our way there. And even though we're not there yet, help us as your people to be an outpost of your love, an outpost here of, of grace and mercy. Help us to be a little microcosm of what heaven is like as we love one another, as we give grace to one another. And God, we th- I just want to thank you for how, how you've answered our prayers, even as Sean has left and, and left holes in the music. And thank you for, for Jess and, and Noah and, and Zach and Logan stepping up and, and helping us to worship you with song. And uh, we, we know you deserve it. We know you deserve our songs of praise. And so we, th- we just want to thank you for and praise you for answering those prayers. And God, we do pray for traveling mercies for our friends who are moving to other places, also those who are going on vacation. We ask that you'd give them rest, relaxation, mercy. Pray that you'd give them joy and and reinvigorate them for the work and the life that you've called them to. And those who are preparing for trips, I pray that you you would bless them and keep them and, and make your face shine upon them and, and use even the planning and the excitement of it to remind them of how good you are to give us work and rest. And Father, um, none of this would be possible without the gospel. We already sung about it this morning. Um, we thank you that though our sins, you died for our sins, our sins nailed you to the cross in a, in a sense, that uh, you love us, that you forgave us. In your dying and rising again, you've invited us into your family as brothers and sisters. And so we thank you for the gospel, this good news of, of Jesus that unites us and brings us together. And we thank you for those who partner in that very gospel with us here in Corvallis. And we don't want to just pray for ourselves because the kingdom is not as small as just the branch. It's big and large, and we want to pray for the advancement of the kingdom. You taught us to pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. So I pray that the gospel would have success in the other churches in this place, for Cornerstone Bible in Albany, for the community churches all around, for Calvin Presbyterian, for Christ Central Anglican as they welcome their new pastor this month. We pray that they would have success and joy as you have kept them and held them in your hand. And we pray that you would, you would help them to grow in gospel grace and, and wisdom and even in numbers. God, we, we pray for Suburban. We pray for Northwest Hills. And God, we, we pray for the advancement of the gospel in these places, that as your word is preached and your people are healed and helped, that you would be honored and glorified. 
We do pray for those who, we pray for our world and, and those brothers and sisters that are in, on other continents ministering the gospel, whether through their work or whether through their, their ministry, that you would give them, you would help them, help them to be clear and kind, help them to be, to be bold and, and also abased. I pray that they would be humble and helpful. And God, I ask that as we meet together, that you would not pass over us. Oh, God, meet with us. Spirit of God, we, we pray that you would illumine us. We, we need you to help us see the scriptures for, for what you are saying to us and help us to behold Jesus Christ in all of his grace and glory. And we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer and the only one that can give us traveling mercies. In Christ's name, amen. So I was born in Ellensburg, Washington, and while my dad was playing football for, for Central. And I spent uh, the first few years, years of my life in Western Washington, Littleton, Colorado, and Rogue River. In the summer between my seventh and eighth grade years, uh, our family moved back home. Well, what I consider home. Western Washington, where my, my grandma, my maternal grandparents lived, my grandma and grandpa Woodward. We moved back home, and I'll never forget driving up I-5 and entering into Washington and how beautiful this place was. Uh, it was a place where the mountains and the waters meet, and the, it was summertime, so the sky was blue, right? It was, it was, it was teasing me um, for, for the life that was ahead in Washington. But it, it was a beautiful place. Uh, Rogue River was a beautiful place of its own, but somehow Washington was beautifully home. But it didn't take long in my junior high years for home, for it to feel like I was in exile, to feel like exile in my homeland. Something about being in junior high makes you feel this way no matter where you are. Uh, but especially at home, it was an odd feeling, you know, becoming painfully aware of yourself in middle school, junior high, and starting a new school, in a new church, in a new neighborhood, sort of makes you feel like you're in exile, even if you feel like you're home. And friends, the first readers of, the, of this book, the Psalms, as they're collected right now, the first readers were reading them as they were leaving exile from Babylon, from Assyria, from the Persian Empire, and they were coming back home to Jerusalem. And they're reading these songs, you know, I lift my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalms like that. And someone like Ezra or Nehemiah uh, would, would have composed these songs for, that, for a journey just like that. And it's possible that, you know, they were, they were singing this song on the journey from Susa or Babylon to Jerusalem. They're coming out of captivity into the city of peace. And they had lived places that did not feel like home. Places where national and local governments held them in contempt and derision. Places where people viewed their belief in the one God as too exclusive. 
They lived in places where their, both their beliefs and their moralities were tolerated, but looked on as fringe or even possibly dangerous. Maybe you feel like that. Like you are held in contempt for your views about Jesus as the only way to God. <clears throat> Maybe you feel at odds with the culture because they believe the resurrection was a myth and you believe the resurrection is absolutely true and essential for what matters, for Christianity. Are you tempted to be overwhelmed by the contempt and scorn of the culture? Are you tempted to give in to the pressures of friends and family in order to keep the peace? Well, you're not alone. God's people have felt this for a long time. You might be asking, though, is there anything God's people can do or feel or believe when they experience this contempt or scorn or ridicule for being God's people? Well, I believe Psalm 123 has the answer. The weary traveler in, Psalm, in the Psalms of Ascent is encouraged in Psalm 123 to lift his eyes to God and sing for mercy. Those are going to be our two points this morning. Lift, look to God, sing for mercy. Look to the King, God the King, and sing for mercy. So, oh, weary traveler, you exiled in your homeland, hear these beautiful words from your God. Let's, let's just stand together out of reverence for God's word as I read it. To you, I lift my eyes. O oh, you who are enthroned in heaven, in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of the maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God, till he has mercy on us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. This is God's word. You can be seated. So we'd like to say first that the, the first readers of this psalm had actual contempt poured on them. Sometimes uh, Christians in, in our culture uh, have supposed contempt, right? They think that um, they are scorned and held in contempt because of their political views or, or, or because, you know, whatever it might be. I'm going to get in trouble because I'm going off script. But you know what I mean, okay? Some, sometimes we have scorn or, or imagined scorn heaped on us. We, we think we're at odds with the culture because of some other view. But theirs was a specific contempt because of their belief in God. Um, also, today, in today's culture, you don't have to go long on social media to find that people get contempt heaped on them, uh, deservedly so, because they enter into the fray as just jerks, let's be quite honest. All right, so this, is not, this isn't either of those two things. There's actual contempt for God's people because of who they are from, from a, a, a culture that doesn't understand. And what does God say for them to do? These people who are traveling to Jerusalem look to God, lift, I lift my eyes to you. Oh, oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens. 
So we don't know the exact situation of the poet. We don't have the, the history, but we can imagine it was someone like Nehemiah who came back into Jerusalem and, and his enemies were pouring contempt and scorn and ridicule on him. And he would have been told, lift your eyes to the one who is enthroned in heaven. We, we know that most of the Psalms are written by the king of God's people. Most of them are written by David, Solomon, some, someone who is a king. But all of them are written for us to look forward to a true and better and final king of God's people. Who might that be? So whoever wrote this psalm wants his readers to have the king of heaven and earth in mind when he or she reads. And the first line of the first stanza uses kingly language. On this journey, God's people who find themselves being scorned by those around them are to lift their eyes to the one who's enthroned in heaven, in the heavens. The image is of a king who sits on a throne. But the throne the king sits on is in the heavens. It's above the fray. He rules over all things. Even those things that cause you fear and anxiety, he rules over all of them. So he can say, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, by lifting your eyes up to God and supplication, make your requests known to God, the king. Don't be anxious, he says. Look to me, the king who is enthroned and rules over everything. So you may be tempted, like I said in the beginning, to compromise on your beliefs as God's people. This song teaches us to stop looking at culture or whatever it is as your king and look to God as your king. The one enthroned in the heavens. If you are tempted to be fearful of culture and and you want to withdraw from it, God would say stop looking to culture or whatever it is that's making you anxious or wanting to withdraw Stop looking at them. Stop looking at it as more powerful than the king who sits enthroned in the heavens. Friends, this word can also mean longing, looking to God, longing for God as we look to him. You know, maybe the reason we are so upset sometimes with being scorned or made fun of for our Christian beliefs or looking backwards or like a fundamentalist or a redneck is because of our longings. All of our longings to be liked and accepted, they're, you know, in in one sense, they're God-given. But when our longings for acceptance by others outgrows our longing for God, it becomes idolatry. So how do we deal with that? Well, in the text, it tells us to look our eyes, lift our eyes to heaven, to the one who sits on the throne. And secondly, it's to, to view ourselves as God's servants. We have to see ourselves as servants of God. So the next image in in the poem tells us, Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of the maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us. So in answer to how should one look to God or, or ask for help, God says, view yourself as a servant. The people of God, man or woman, should look to God as their help, like a servant looks to their master. 
as a servant is attentive to the, to the master's needs. We are to look to God, to be attentive to him. And maybe for us that, um, that image, uh, maybe we could think of the image as, uh, of, a, of, a, of a waiter in, in a, fine dining res- of, of a fine restaurant. As they look to their tables and they anticipate the needs of, the, uh, uh, of those who are eating there, they attend to those needs. And the, the point is not that God needs anything and we need to attend to his needs. The point is we need to be attentive to who God is and, and what he wants of us. As he gives signs to us through his word. They are to look for signals from their master. Does he, you know, does the, does the master have an empty cup? Is there uncomfortable shuffling? Are they too hot, too cold? The, the attention is to be on the master's desires. This is, friends, the fear of the Lord. And a very old commentator put it like this. I think I have it on a slide. is deference, submission, and trust are all expressed by the figure of servant and master. In in the ancient Near East, servants in attending on their masters are almost wholly directed by signs which require the closest observance of the hands of the latter. The servants of God should, here are five things the servants of God should look to, to him for. To his directing hand, to appoint them their work. To his supplying hand, to give them their portion in due season, to his protecting hand, to right them when wronged, to his correcting hand, to discipline them as sons and daughters, to his rewarding hand, to honor them for a life well lived. And, and, and as a servant looks to their masters in, in attentiveness, so we are to look to God in attentiveness as he directs and supplies and protects and corrects and rewards us. And, and for all things in this life, or to look to him. Look to the Lord then means to look to him in all these ways, in prayer. We are to go to him. Maybe these five points could form your personal prayer list this, this summer for both yourself and those you pray for. Oh, oh God, please direct me and appoint me my work. God, please supply me with everything I need. Maybe you need protection. God, protect me by your hand. Write me when I'm wrong. Maybe you don't have to take to social media to to defend yourself. You can leave it to God. And maybe we should be praying for correction, for his discipline, even though it's it's hard at times. He, He wants to correct us because he loves us. And we should be praying for his rewarding hand, for as we live our life, that he would reward us according to his grace and his his mercy. Maybe we could be praying this for the members of our church as we, as we pray through the membership list and pray for each other and pray for those who are, who are going on from our community. We, we pray that God would do these things. He would direct and supply and protect and correct and reward because the eyes of the servant look to the master. So our eyes look to you, oh God. Notice the singular I turns to the plural our. That's an important point. It may not seem like much, but the psalmist starts with, to you I lift my eyes. And then the rest of the, of the poem, he, he uses the plural pronouns, our, us, we. The personal prayer has turned corporate. We, we pray to God 
as a people. The psalmist just doesn't want just doesn't want mercy for himself. He wants mercy for all of God's people. He wants traveling mercies. So friends, he not only teaches us how to look to the Lord, he, that we should look to the Lord, he also teaches us what to look to the Lord for. He tells us to sing for mercy. Now these, these psalms uh, are, are teaching us to ask God for mercy, to talk to him, but these, song, these psalms are meant to be sung, to, to sing to God. What a beautiful thing for us as at the end of our service, we're, we're going to sing a song called His Mercy is More. We're going to be crying out for God's mercy just as he called us to do in this psalm. Just as the eyes of the servant look to their master, so my eyes, our eyes, oh God, look to you until you have mercy on us. The psalmist and, and God's people, will, they will not take their eyes off God. They will not stop praying. They will, they will not stop interceding until he has mercy. They are going to endure to the very end until he gives them mercy. You know, if you watch, I, I wonder, when, when you experience someone mocking you, what is your immediate response? When, you, when someone's pouring contempt on you or scorn on you, how do you want to respond in your flesh, if you're honest? If you watch YouTube shorts or TikTok, you might see people respond with scorn. You know, to scorn with scorn. Reviling with reviling. And, and that's in all of us in some way, isn't it? We all, we all want to strike back. No one wants to look like an idiot. Uh, online or anywhere else, you know, but you want to enter in like you know, like Eminem in the eight mile rap battles. You just want to end with the, the sickest diss ever, right? I can't pull it off, can I? <laughs> uh, but you 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 know you want to we want to put people down, and you're not going to treat me like that. Um, I have that going on in my home all the time, not between Bridget and I, but between our kids. All the time. Uh, and I was like that too growing up. And, and, and part of it is in me too. I always have to have the last word. You always want the last word, but not the psalmist. He tells God that he longs for mercy in place of contempt. So when you get scorned or ridiculed or whatever for your faith or for who you are, for who God made you, the psalmist teaching us to pray for mercy in place of scorn. Not to heap scorn back, but, oh God, I must have mercy in the place of scorn. They not only want mercy, they will wait for it until God shows them mercy, enduring. They keep looking, they keep asking, they keep knocking, they keep calling until the Lord will have mercy on them. Because they know. God's mercy will outweigh the contempt of others. And he, and he repeats it three times, which we, it tells us that he's emphasizing something. So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us. Verse three, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Have mercy, mercy, mercy. So our, our eyes look to God till he shows us mercy. Have mercy, O Lord, have mercy. Is the cry of the traveler who is scorned by the arrogant and the proud. I wonder what this looks like for a 
Christian man. You know, the popular epitaph of masculinity is it's toxic. Many men have earned this, but it's not a flaw in the design. God created both man, male and female. So masculinity, living out a, a Godward masculinity is not toxic. When, when masculinity is lived in the fear of God, it's not toxic, but good. So what, do Christian, what should Christian men do? I mean, we're, we're taught, right, with, with all of the revenge movies and, and things like that, we're, we're taught that we have to get back. We have to earn our justice. We have to get revenge. When we're reviled, we, we revile back. But Jesus, the perfect man, when he was reviled, Peter tells us he reviled not again. He, he sought for peace. But he did not do it at the detriment of truth. Oh, Christian man, be a God-fearing man. What does that look like? It looks like someone who needs mercy even more than the person heaping contempt on you. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me according to your steadfast love. Have mercy. What might this look, for a, look like for a Christian woman? In enduring contempt, whether it's from, from men or from co-workers or, or for, for, from those who don't, you don't party with or, or, or those who heap contempt on you because you stay at home with your kids or, or, or maybe you, get, you feel like you get contempt heaped on you because you can't have kids or, or any, any such thing, God says to pray for mercy. Pray for mercy. Please, friends, remember that as a servant of God, you do not need to win an argument first, but you first need God to have mercy on you. And because of the Lord Jesus Christ, he can have mercy on you. The only one who never deserved contempt or scorn or or derision had derision and scorn and contempt heaped on himself for you stood in your place and had it all poured on him. The wrath of God, the the wrath of God that we deserve poured on him and died in your place and rose again the third day, despising the shame, putting it down, uh, winning over the shame and the contempt and the death and the hell and the sin in order that he might have mercy on you. Christian man, Christian woman, Look to God for that mercy. Understand yourself in relation to other people that you need mercy even more than they do. And we enter all the endeavors of life, our work or even our evangelism, our apologetics, our our debating, knowing that we are the ones who need mercy and we go to those who need mercy just like us. So the songwriter asks for traveling mercies because they have had enough of contempt. But the psalm ends in a surprising way. I don't know if you noticed it when I read it or not. Usually psalms of lament move from sorrow to confidence to hope to praise. Actually, that's how the book of Psalms works. You would be surprised how many psalms of lament are in the book of Psalms. There's a lot of them. And the book of Psalms moves this way from, from lament or sorrow to praise. 
And, and at the end, Psalm 140 to 145, there's this, 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 pan of, this huge group of people, even the creation, being called to praise God with everything they have, including instruments and their voices. And at the end, the, uh, it ends with this, this high note of praise. But there are psalms like this that are laments and they end with laments. Why? Why is that? Well, it's because it's unresolved. The, the journey isn't over for us yet, friends. This journey is, as Cameron taught us last week, it is, or was it last week or two weeks ago? I can't remember, sorry. Uh, as he taught us last week, yeah, it was, because it was 122 and I'm in 123. Thank you for letting me verbally process that. Uh, as he taught us last week, it is a joyful journey. And the dangerous journey turns into a joyful journey as we look to God for mercy, as we look to God for satisfaction and for, and for help. And Psalm 122 says that we had, they had made it to Jerusalem, the travelers had made it to Jerusalem, but the Jerusalem that they experience now is not the same as the Jerusalem they left. Neither will it be the same as the final Jerusalem that they are headed to. They are exiles in their hometown, no matter how long they have lived there. Friend, no matter how long you've lived in Corvallis, it will never completely feel like home. Nowhere you live will. Not until we are home and our traveling is done. The longing that you have for another land is in us all, Christian, non-Christian. You may think that you know, the longings that you have is just to fit in or for people to stop making fun of you. The truth is what you really long for is God's mercy in God's presence. Because the truth is that we are ridiculed and hurt by people. But we also have contributed to this place. We've contributed to this ourselves by making this place not feel at home for other people, by ridiculing them. We are in need of mercy. We are the arrogant. We are the proud. But the good news is, thanks be to God, that he has given us mercy. In 1 Timothy 1, 13 through 15, Paul says it like this. Paul said, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy. For this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Friend, do you want mercy? Look to Jesus. If he can give it to the foremost of sinners, like Paul, he can give it to you. You will receive mercy. And one of the reasons Jesus does it is so that he might display his perfect patience through us. So church, as we travel through this life, as we, as we think about on our travels, as you are all going to different places this summer and, and seeing family and friends and, and going to restful places, remember that you are on a journey. And in that journey, 
Just like life, you need traveling mercies. And it's God and God alone that can give them to you. So look to the king. Look to the God who is king and sing for mercy. Let's pray.